Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning, listeners across Central Texas. What a beautiful, beautiful day here at the St. Mary's Student Center where our studio is. I'm just uh, running into some of my besties this morning. Uh, our, Your besties, our besties, Judy? Well, here in the station, that would be you, Thaddeus. How's it going? Oh, you're so sweet. I'm doing wonderful. It's great to be in the studio with you. I love being on the air with you. You awesome. are awesome. just terrific. Well, thank you. We've got a co- never, pretty cool show lined up today, I, I think. I do, I do. In a few minutes, we're going to be calling uh, Miami, a, a lady that I met a couple of weeks ago. Her name is Mary Ann Weisinger. She is the director of evangelization and parish life in the Archdiocese of Miami. Uh, met her a couple of weeks ago. She uh, gave us a teaching at... My husband, Keith, is, you know, if you know me, let me uh-huh. tell a story to tell a story to tell a story. Yeah, I always that's pretty have much to tell how you a story operate. to tell a story. Uh, for our listeners who may not know, my husband is in the diaconate program here in the Diocese of Austin. and I Golf clap? Yes, yes. We could have the whispery voice in and uh, Mary Ann uh, gave us a class on St. Paul's Street evangelization, yeah. and I was—I just knew from the minute she started talking that I was going to beg her into coming on to my show, and she graciously agreed. So we're going to be talking to her in cool. a few minutes. But it wouldn't be June of 2017 without hearing from Terry Lipska. <laughs> Absolutely. So we're going to have to call her because she's driving. Right. Um, so I'm going to do that now, and you can keep I'll talking to the listeners. With our listeners, uh, and we surely want to encourage anyone who's listening uh, to call in. This is a live show, and we always would love to hear from any of our listeners from Waco or Palestine here locally and in Bryan College Station. And to do that, that number would be 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. As I was driving here this morning, I thought, I think I'm going to start calling this session uh, glory stories, and we would, somebody might have a glory story that they're listening to. I personally went to have a little glory story myself. I went to Alexandria, Louisiana this past weekend with 10 teens from St. Anthony's Parish and uh, six other adults to attend the Steubenville South Conference. As always, it did not disappoint, and... um, a lot of times we are in ministry. You think, oh, I'm doing this for the teens, and I was the one that just got as blasted as they did. So it was a wonderful Update experience. Bulletin, this just in, <laughs> I have <laughs> Terry Lipscomb on the phone. She's here. Let's go. Okay. Here go we ahead, go. Terry. Good morning. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. Traffic is flowing nicely, so I'm very comfortable talking to you this morning. Awesome. Well, I would not ask you to do that if it wasn't, but... uh, We promise that if she's in College Station, she's on a hands-free device. We promise. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I'm on 290, so... Okay. There you go. 
Well, just in case a police officer was listening, I think you have a little <laughs> a little story to tell about that too this morning, don't you? Oh my goodness. Um I could do like Judy, I could tell story after story after story, but this morning um our son Blake was driving to work and he was going 65 in a 55 mile an hour zone and got pulled over by a motorcycle policeman mm. who looking at his license said Lipscomb, Lipscomb, Lipscomb. <laughs> I've been hearing that name. Uh, do you know that young boy who's got a kidney transplant and received a kidney from his dad? <laughs> and Blake said, yes, I sure do. It's my brother. And he goes, wow, how's he doing? He asked him all kind of questions about how we were doing and then proceeded to tell him to be safe and get on his way. You know, some people have all the luck. <laughs> I can't believe that. I wish I, I wish you would have been having this story publicized when I went through Rosebud, Texas, about back in April. <laughs> Oh, I might have could have. You could have pulled the Lipscomb card. I well, could have pulled as I, as I know them. I didn't I work even with try, them. I didn't even try that when my truck got towed. <laughs> oh yes, we did try because you had a Lipscomb with you who actually used to tow in Houston, and we couldn't pull a card at all. Nope, had David the green shirt David on and everything. Mm. Oh, I know. David at work says you can be lucky or you can be a Lipscomb. Which one do you want? <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell I us felt how. So bad when Judy's truck got towed from the apartment. My dear friend Judy got to spend a couple of days with us while we were in Houston during the surgery. And I, we're at this wonderful apartment. This ministry has um, graciously let us stay at an apartment really close. And um, Judy got her truck towed, so I, I still apologize for that. But oh. we are back at the apartment. Gage got discharged yesterday. All right, hooray. Woo-hoo. Thanks be to God. Yes, it was a great uh, to see that picture uh, on Facebook. and uh, uh, It was a really rough morning for him. Um, I, you know, we were told that there's... Hey, excuse me, Terry, before you, get, before you get rolling with that story, just in case people are listening and they don't know the background, just give a brief background of what we're talking about, what's, what's happened. Okay. Um, our 14-year-old son, Gage, on June 14th, received a kidney from... My husband, David, who is Gage's dad, and um, it's just been a beautiful story of community support back in Bryan. We are in Houston. We were at Texas Children's, and we just released yesterday from Texas Children's, but we are staying in Houston for a couple of more weeks as a follow-up to a transplant requires lots of lab work. And as most of you know, driving from Houston driving to Houston from Brian for an eight o'clock appointment is really stressful. And this way Gage will get more rest and we can be closer if anything comes up. So that's where we are. As of last night, we spent our first night, Gage spent his first night at the apartment with uninterrupted sleep. Wow. He was, he was okay this morning, but he wasn't real happy that we had to get him up to the hospital this morning at eight o'clock for a blood draw. But I quickly reminded him that um, they let us leave, knowing that we could do that. Right. So, um, and his his plan that y'all <clears throat> knew about before uh, leading up to the transplant that there are so many uh, different levels are going to have to be checked, and the window to check it, and all those things are very sensitive to you know have this level time. at that time, and that that's going to continue for um, a while. Correct. It will. Your kidney takes a while to get all its levels correct, and um, that's basically what his kidney is doing. 
the, his levels have been very um, fluctuating drastically with every small dosage of change. And there's lots of medications. Yesterday, before we left Houston, before we left the hospital, we received a um, kidney transplant discharge kit. And it included all of his medications and a blood pressure cuff and a thermometer and sanitizer, face masks, um, sunscreen. He's got to wear 50-plus sunscreen. Some of his medications have a lot of different side effects. Right. And so we, we've been in training a lot. But I think yesterday the reality of life after transplant really hit Gage hard. His emotions have been up and down, and I can just see it in his in his eyes, and he had a couple of teary eye moments yesterday as they came in and brought this huge pillbox for him to learn how to dispense his own medication. They've been very adamant that Gage Learn and myself and David, the names of the medications, the side effects, how often he has to take them, what we're looking for when we draw his blood. And Gage has been getting an A, and David and I get about a B minus to a C. <laughs> He's doing a lot better learning as I don't have a medical mind. But I think the reality really hit Gage hard yesterday and just tried to remind him that, you know, God just blessed Gage tremendously with a very healthy lifestyle pre-transplant. And there's a lot of things that we're going to have to do differently, whereas most transplant patients live a very sickly life. And then when they go through transplant and they receive these medications, they are living a more healthy, productive lifestyle. And there's some limitations that Gage has been given. And the one that I think he's having the hardest time with still is no swimming of any sort for the first six months. And then we'll be at Christmas, but who's going to swim at Christmas? <laughs> I but think he might, though. That could happen. I bet he might. <laughs> I just continue to remind Gage and... Uh, we have some beautiful prayer times together, um, praying the rosary together, he and I at the hospital, and particularly praying for the people who have been put in our path. Sunday, Gage and I got to walk to St. Luke's Hospital and go to the Mass at noon in the chapel. And, um, of course, there's a lot of talking going on before and after Mass, and um, Gage was able to share that he they could see he was a patient. And there was a woman sitting behind us who heard Gage say that he received his father's kidney 10 days ago. Mm. And she talked with us after Mass. And her daughter is 26. Her name is Amy. And we've been lifting her up in prayer. She is. She needs a liver and kidney transplant. Oh, my gosh. And suffers with a lot of different ailments. And she's in the hospital right now, not not to receive the transplant, but just because of other things that are happening and she asked the priest to bring communion to her husband in the room amy did not want her dad to leave but amy is not able to swallow so her mom was telling us a little bit about the story and just started crying and i said can i give you a hug and we just embraced for a long hard embrace as she cried and she told us amy's name and we promised that we'll be praying for her so it's been quite, quite, if nothing else, just for God to reveal to us how light our cross actually is. 
compared to others that we come across, as Judy mentioned last week. Oh, and I'm about to mention it again. (laughs) Okay, well, I'll let you do that. No, uh, I have a few comments, and then we will close with that prayer. Um, There's a a story or a meditation reflection that someone tells God, this cross is too heavy, I can't carry it anymore, and they're given the option to bring it. Okay, we're going to let you trade it in, and enters a room full of crosses of every size and he searches and searches and walks all around and says, okay, this is the cross that I want. Uh, I think I can carry this cross. And God reveals to him that is the cross you were carrying. So he, um, everything God gives us is molded perfectly to us when he says, take on my yoke. And um, that's such a beautiful analogy because during Jesus's time, you wouldn't just take any old yoke and stick it on any old ox. It was formed perfectly so the animal would be as efficient as possible. And so our yokes, our crosses are formed perfectly for us. So in our, as we go to break, I'm going to read the prayer that uh, Terry and I have shared a prayer for those who carry the cross, carry their cross. And as we and that up, is posted on the um, Red Sea Radio in a comment when I did the link to our show last week that we got to talk. So if anybody would like that copy, it's available. Thank you, Terry. Yeah, that's awesome. <clears throat> so as we pray for Gage. Give our best to Gage and David, and y'all are remain in our prayers. And is the GoFundMe account still active? It's not, we haven't seen any activity on it since surgery, but it is still going to stay active. And we just are so extremely grateful. I got, I did hear the little update on Gage's surgery that you, uh, I guess Monica had you make another little um, announcement. And I was listening to it on my earphones while they're watching TV. I, I always have Red Sea in my ear. And so <laughs> I thank you so much for that. And it's so I was instructed that, um, to make a new, improved. Uh, PSA after <laughs> well, the it was after wonderful. The <laughs> I, I was so excited when I heard it and so grateful for everyone. Every I mean, we have prayers coming from so many people on vacation and went to Jerusalem and the Ireland and all kind of places where candles were lit and prayers were sent for us. And I really want to pass those prayers on to all those who are suffering as we pray this prayer and particularly in Thanksgiving for all the Simons that we have to help us carry our cross. Absolutely. So as <clears throat> as we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we lift up Gage and Amy and all those that the Lipscombs will encounter uh, all over the medical center in Houston. Such a humbling experience to be there and just see the hustle and the bustle of people coming and going and not knowing everyone's story and situation. So we pray for them. Oh, my God, I thank you for this cross you have allowed me to carry. Please give me the strength and faith to persevere so that I may bring glory to your name while withstanding the burden of its weight. Thank you for offering me a share in your suffering. I know that you have always been, are now, and ever will be at my side every step of the way. Thank you also for every Simon that you have sent to me to help me bear this cross. I have prayed so often that this thorn in my flesh would be removed, 
but I trust that your grace is sufficient. Change my heart's troubled cry of how long, O Lord, into the words of trust, however long, O Lord. May I seek only to do your will and to unite my sufferings with your passion. Help me not to get lost in my own self-concerns, but may I find in these trials a way to greater virtue, a call to prayer, and a path to trust in you alone. Permit me not to waste my pain, but to make of these struggles a sacrificial offering for others, Lord, when I am weary and I fall, exhausted under the weight of this cross. Please give me the courage to press on as you did. Lord Jesus, I embrace with love my cross as I share in your own. By your grace, may I carry it all the way to the vision of your glory. I abandon myself totally to your will. Christ Jesus, I trust in you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Terry. I love you. Thank you, Judy. See y'all soon. Safe travels. All right, great. Well, we're going to go to a break, and when we come back, we'll be talking to Mary Kay Weisinger about St. Paul's Street Evangelization. Welcome back, listeners of Central Texas, to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Judy Como, today. I'm so excited to introduce to our listeners um, a new friend of mine. I was very blessed to meet her a couple of weeks ago. Uh, My husband and I are in the diaconate process, and uh, our teaching of that day was on St. Paul's Street Evangelization and Mary Ann Weisinger is the Director of Evangelization and Parish Life in the Archdiocese of Miami, and she was in Austin and led us through a day of basic evangelization training, and um, we're going to talk a little bit about that and share some of our experiences in this training. Good morning, Marianne. Good morning, Judy. So good to be with you this morning. Oh, I was so excited. I just... uh, after about 20 minutes of your presentation, uh, when we took a break, I know you probably thought, Ooh, who is this woman? But uh, <laughs> I just felt very called uh, that God had something for us to say over the air about evangelization, about the street Paul, St. Paul street evangelization, and how uh, that played out on that day. And um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and how your uh these two worlds collide of being the parish director of parish life and street evangelization and how all that played out sure i'd love to well it's 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 st paul street evangelization has been uh tremendous for my own life 
I've been doing diocesan work going on 10 years now, incredibly, first in the Diocese of Oakland in California, and now in the Archdiocese of Miami, so coast to coast. Wow. And, um, you know, Adam, my friend who's the national director for St. Paul Street Evangelization, about two years ago, um, I, I, I had a lunch with him, and he invited me to get involved as a pre- presenter for St. Paul Street Evangelization. And part of me is like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, I have so much work as a diocesan official, you know, and we have weekend work and evening work. You know, why would I add another thing to my plate? But, you know, as Adam began to share with me the stories of conversion and really the miracles that would happen as people shared with other people about their faith, you know, I was hooked. And the truth is, is uh, I wanted to be part of these miracles. I wanted to be part of these radical conversion uh, stories that were happening in front of my eyes. And, you know, I, I accepted, I was trained in St. Paul Street Evangelization. You know, I've never looked back. Every single time we go on the streets, I see God acting in ways that are so much bigger than myself. And I think what I've come to realize is that God is at work in each human heart. And what he asks us to do as, you know, everyday Catholics is just offer the good news to a world that is longing to hear about this good news. And there are so many times that our our willingness to share is corresponded with a deep thirst and that God is already doing a work in a person and we come at just the right time that their heart is open for something more, for something that they've been longing to hear. And that's, that's why I love to be involved with St. Paul Street Evangelization. Oh, I think that speaks so, it speaks volumes to me. It's just um, so many things that we talked about during that day, during our training and what you're saying right now uh, had been a, part of my life being involved in uh, youth ministry. And um, I always feel like I'm about the spiritual age of the teens because I was a, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a cradle Catholic and uh, I was raised in an Italian Catholic family. And there, yes, there is a difference. <laughs> um, and it was always a part of my life, but uh, not my story to tell at this time, but uh, God spared me so many things to bring me to where I'm at today. And in in my marriage, my husband and I, he also raised as a a cradle Catholic, but um, experienced reversion or conversion, however you want to describe it, um, Mm -hmm. about early early on in our marriage. And Mm -hmm. that relationship just continued to get bumped up and bumped up and bumped up. And uh, our involvement in youth ministry started to teach us lessons about evangelization. Um, I'm very comfortable talking to someone in the grocery line in some way or form about our Lord. Uh, So I was not intimidated to learn more about the street evangelization because I feel like I do it a lot. But uh, for our listeners, uh, explain what St. Paul's street evangelization actually is, how this came about and is spreading across the world, actually. Sure. Uh, A lot of things to talk about, but Mm -hmm. I'll start first at how we started. You know, there's a man named Stephen Dawson, 
and he started to talk to people on the street about the faith. Um, he just felt that call, and he started to do this, and he was actually really successful about it, and he started to post about his success on social media. And people started to ask him, you know, like, what are you doing, and, and how are you doing this, and how is it that people are actually coming back to the faith? And they started to ask him to train them. And so little by little, as he went out to train people how to share about their faith, he realized that the Holy Spirit was doing something here. And, you know, that was in 2012. And in just these five short years, uh, St. Paul Street Evangelization has grown into an international organization where in eight countries, and we have over 300 teams just going out and, and sharing the good news and, and, and beginning these faith conversations. You know, when a lot of people hear about street evangelization, they're like, whoa, that's <laughs> totally radical. That's totally not for me. And I think that there is a sense of radicalness about it, but there's also a sense of just, you know, um, the, a, a very ordinary Christian act. And when I tell people, you know, when I talk to people who are going through this basic evangelization training, like the deacon aspirants of the Diocese of Austin, you know, what I tell them is that this training is going to be good for when you, you know, if you continually go out in the streets and and this becomes part of your apostolate to just begin faith conversations. But talking about the faith, like you were doing, like you were mentioning when you talked to people in the grocery line, for many Catholics is very intimidating, you know, from having these conversations with our family members about the faith is very intimidating. Uh, our friends, our coworkers, it can be very intimidating, especially because the world keeps on pushing on us this idea that your faith is something you do in private and, you know, don't impose your faith on anybody else. But the the truth is, is that, you know, P- Pope Paul VI tells us in Evangelion and Siandi, you know, the church exists to evangelize. And and if this is true, there there must be a corresponding truth to it is that the world exists to be evangelized. So we as as you know, everyday Catholics, you know, by virtue of our baptism, are called to share this faith, and we do so with confidence and with joy because the world is aching for this good news, this opportunity to greater peace this opportunity to joy, this opportunity to know that their life has a meaning and a purpose. And even even if people, you know, our families, our friends, our coworkers, can't articulate that this is the longing that they're trying to address, it is foundationally that, that longing. Um, but, you know, the basic evangelization training gives you the tools, the basic tools to... Um, build trust with a person. So it's not just coming in and and dropping faith information on someone. It's building a relationship, listening to their story, understanding what's important to them and what are the the doubts and the questions and the anxieties that are on their heart, and and sharing the good news, sharing the gospel in a way that meets them where they are. And and there's always an invitation to faith because I think that sometimes... We share, but we don't invite. And I think that's the one thing that I have learned so much about St. Paul Street Evangelization 
is to always invite people back to the faith. Well, would you like to come back back to Mass? Can I pray for you? Um, you know, would you consider this saying this prayer with me? Those those little invitations, you know, be it small or great, you know, how long has it been since you've been to confession? These are the little things that can really change a person's life. And and learning how to do this and to make this this very gentle but heartfelt invitation, you know, are, are, are the simple conversations that are bringing people back into a relationship with Jesus and, and opening, opening hearts to consider that this might be something that they would want, something that, you know, would, would fill this deeper need or this ache or this longing that they have in their life. Oh, I agree. 100%. Um, Marianne, you started the day off um, with a very haunting statistic that uh, the second biggest religion is fallen away Catholics. And um, yeah. it's something yeah, that really takes your breath away. Sure. I mean, there there is... A, a real urgency of this work because, I, you know, some of the statistics I shared with you that come from a Pew Research study that says that for every one Catholic convert that's coming into the faith right now, more than six are leaving. And, um, you know, 13% of all Americans are former Catholics. So, you know, our, our, our numbers have maintained somewhat stable in terms of percentage because of uh, Hispanic immigration and so many uh, of our Hispanic immigrants are, are Catholic. But the truth is, is that as we begin, as, our, as the Hispanic population is integrated into the American culture, they're leaving the faith at, you know, similar rates than the rest of the American Catholic Church. So we have to do something differently. We have to, you know, begin these conversations. I remember one time I was at a parish barbecue. I'll tell you one time that I was able to, you know, have this kind of conversation. I was at a parish barbecue and I was talking to a woman. She was a scientist. It turns out she was a scientist. And, you know, over the course of the conversation, I realized, you know, she's been coming to this church for two years but she's not Catholic. And she had been coming to church because when she came to church, she sent, she sensed a, a deeper peace than she normally felt in you know, her everyday life. And she kept on coming and trying to, you know, connect the dots. Why did she feel that peace? And, um, and you know, at trying out this, this, this faith. And at that barbecue, I started to talk to her and I said, you know, well, wow, you've been coming to church for two years. What's keeping you from becoming Catholic? And, you know, she completely opened up her life and she began to share with me her struggles and her concerns. And she had one foot in Buddhism, one foot in Catholicism. But after this long conversation of explaining to me her story, you know, she said, this, this is the kind of conversation that I expected to have when I came to church. You know, mm. I, I've been wanting to have this conversation for a really long time. You know what we talk about when I go to church with the ladies that sit by me is my shoes and my purse and, you know, just such superficial stuff. But people are seeking something more. People are seeking something deeper. And we have to be those people that initiate those conversations about the important things 
And, and I think that's, that's a lot about a lot what St. Paul Street Evangelization is about, is giving you the tools to begin those conversations in a very gentle, loving, um, attentive way with the people that God puts in our life. Yeah, I agree. Um, this past week, some friends of mine who lived here uh, moved to Arizona 13 years ago, and uh, a Catholic family we met at St. Anthony's here, and uh, they moved to a town, St. John's, Arizona, that is uh, about 80% Mormon. And mm-hmm. uh, the parish there was, um, they didn't really describe it as being particularly dynamic, uh, weak in uh, youth ministry and things like that. And their oldest daughter has left the church and joined the Mormon church. And to much heartache and heartbreak, especially to her father. And uh, so we were all just having a conversation and she was describing some experience that they do as a church. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I just asked, well, you know, do y'all... Y'all study the Old Testament, lots of Protestant uh, churches, non-denominational, focus mostly on the New Testament. And um, my older daughter kind of, Mom, that's rude. You're being, cha- you're challenging her. You're being rude. And I was, so I even asked her, you know, I hope I didn't offend you. I was just asking you questions about, do y'all believe this? And I'm trying to find some a level that we agreed on and then be able to move on to things that we uh, differed in our faith, but always trying to find a common ground that we could start off with. So it was, you know, intellectually, uh, I go to youth ministry, I'm going to, I have a plan, but this uh, evangelization spur of the moment kind of thing, I, I want to be loving, I want to be inviting and uh, she was okay with it. It was my daughter that, <laughs> uh, oh, mom moment. Um, but we we do have these opportunities uh, on a minute-by-minute basis. But uh, as we spent this day, we, we knew we were going out to the streets of Austin. And uh, we had, it was kind of on our own terms for a few moments. <laughs> and then things changed. Yeah, and I think uh, that that little nugget that you mentioned is so valuable, you know, finding common ground. And I think that that help, that really helps win people's trust is that, you know, you're trying to know them as a person and try to find things that, that we do have in common. Uh, one of the resources that we use uh, for St. Paul Street Evangelization to help build trust is, you know, Dale Carnegie, who was such a genius at helping us, uh, you know, find things that people delight to talk about and that, you know, we can find ways that we can say, like, we are, you know, we are brothers on the journey. We are fellow human beings and that we can relate to each other on a very human level. Um, and and that's the basis for for our for our work is really trying to, build friendship, you know, trying to build, you know, that um, whatever common ground that we can find so that we can see that we, we have a lot in common already and find that thread of friendship. That's, that's such an important thing, you know, and, and the basis of our work is that we're, 
we're listening to people and we're befriending them before we do any sharing of the good news. Because, you know, there's this truism is that people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. So that, that building, uh, finding common ground, that listening, that befriending. And I think that's a lot what Pope Francis is talking about. He talks about, you know, this revolution of tenderness, that we have to go out and, and meet people where they are and love people where they are. He invites us to risk having face-to-face conversations and, and talking to people and just experiencing who they are and what they're about. And that takes a little bit of exploration like you did and trying to find things that, you know, you both loved and cared about. And I think that that basis is extremely important. Yeah, but I, I think, you know, your your daughter's response, and, and, and God bless her, is really a, a conditioned response of our culture. Absolutely. That says, we can't talk about these things, and, and, and it's wrong to share about them. But, you know... Our, all the contrary is true. You know, our, the world thirsts for this kind of meaningful conversation. Um, but we ha- it is something that we have to get over um, in order to be able to begin these conversations is get, o- get over this idea that we're not supposed to do it or that we're imposing our faith on somebody else if we begin a faith conversation. That's I think that's one of the big hurdles of of sharing the faith with others is that our culture has such a loud voice saying, you know, you shouldn't do that. Uh, I agree. And also culturally, um, the world doesn't want to have any conversation face to face. (laughs) It's got to be a Twitter or a Snapchat or something that, you know, because you're over here alone and there's a sense of comfort in that. But when you're face to face with someone as, and my daughter agreed 100%. She's as put off as her parents are uh, that uh, leaving the church and becoming a Mormon. It it wasn't what I was saying. It was just the fact that I was sharing it in an open conversation and she was defending her feelings. Oh, don't hurt her feelings that, and you're exactly right. Um, because I have a 26-year-old and an 18-year-old, and more and more and more the world screams. You can disagree, but don't say it out loud, About no matter what the subject is. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of the things that we talked about uh, within the training um, also connected back to uh, Forming Intentional Disciples, a great book, Um, Mm -hmm. that's been in the youth ministry world for quite a while, but uh, so many points that were made. As you said, people have to trust you before they're going to even listen to what you have to say. And you don't always have that time uh, to form a trust relationship within a a quick, spontaneous conversation. Yeah, I think... I think a lot of evangelization right now is it, it has to be done through the lens of, of friendship because people ultimately, they just need to know that they're loved. And I think especially for millennials, it's they need to be known. It's like, yes, they need to be loved, but especially for millennials, they need to be known. They need their, they want to be recognized for their unique contribution 
They want their story to be heard. They want to know that who they are makes a difference. And, you know, that has to be done face-to-face, and that has to be done in, in the context of friendship. Um, and, and you mentioned this book, uh, Forming Intentional Disciples by Sherry Waddell. I think Sherry is incredible. I'm a huge I'm a huge fan. I'm totally a member of her fan club. And, you know, she talks about uh, the thresholds of discipleship. And I think that's something that uh, another thing that we study within the basic evangelization training course is the different thresholds of discipleship and understanding, you know, that every person is on a journey of faith. And so, you know, you begin with people that are maybe hostile to the faith or, you know, not not even considering the faith. To you know the there's there's five stages of conversion on on the way to becoming a missionary disciple. Right. You know from trust, curiosity, openness, but each step is 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 really valuable to know. And and the reason that we go through these progressive stages of growing more open to the good news, uh, you know, going from being passive to actually seeking the truth is that when we meet people, we have to know that people are in different stages in their faith journey, and what we share and how we share should correspond to their their, their lived reality. And for our St. Paul Street missionaries, we you know do this analysis of our own lives to see how has God taken us along on our faith journey to see how, how patient he's been in each step of the way, to think about what are the conversations that have helped us progress in our faith journey? Who are the people? What were they like? What books did I read? How much space did I need? And, you know, as, as we reflect on God's, you know, infinite goodness and his patience, and think about who are the people that he sent in our lives to help us keep moving forward. What are the events that helped us keep moving forward? Um, we remember how he acted with us so that we remember how patient mm-hmm. and how, you know, understanding we have to be with people who are also on a journey. You know, when, when we encounter a person, we have no idea of everything that has gone before them or where they're going afterwards. We just know that we have to mirror that that look of mercy that with which Jesus encountered so many people and and try to meet them where they are and invite them to continue the journey and continue the journey, continue going deeper and you know as as I do this this work, I I realize that so much of people being able to continue on the journey is is done on the basis of invitation. Well, why don't you come back to church? And sometimes people take you up on it. Why don't you become a Eucharistic, Eucharistic minister? Um, maybe I, I, I'll take you up on it. Why don't you come to this retreat? And uh, people will take you up on it. But it's so much is done on the basis of so much is done on the basis of. Um, invitation. Oh, I agree 100%. Um, about five years ago, uh, through a total Christ incident, I became the lead on getting Matthew Kelly to come here to our hometown. And um, 
he gives you a handbook that is so awesome when you're planning a big event like that. That really is just, uh, it was priceless. But um, he, it made the statement that someone has to be invited seven times before they actually consider participating in whatever it is. Uh, so you can say it from the pulpit and you can put it in the bulletin and you can have it on Catholic radio, Red Sea Catholic radio. Um, mm-hmm. But it's the the best way to encourage someone uh, to participate in anything is to tell your reason why and invite them face to face. I'm going for this reason. Why don't you come join me? Um, and I think that has to do with, like you said, anything, someone who's who's been that's uh, as a leader of a uh, Eucharistic minister in my parish at one time, I would invite the other ministers who already look at the schedule, prepare to come, all those kind of things. You go to 8 o'clock Mass every Sunday. Surely you see people who attend 8 o'clock Mass. You be the one to invite them and tell your reason why you're willing to be a part of that. So I, I think your point is so valid. Yeah, I, you know, in the in the book Churchless, uh, there's a wonderful statistic that I love to bring up, and it's just that um, if uh, 48% of people said that if a friend invited them, they would go to church with them. You know, that's that's pretty amazing statistics. If a friend wow. invited them to church, they would go. I mean, that means you only have to get rejected twice maximum before somebody says yes. <laughs> But, you know, it's like this risk, this risk that we're willing to take somebody to say no, because they might say yes, and they might come and their life might be very different. It might be wonderfully different. And so it's like this, this risk that we're willing to take to, you know, maybe, maybe a couple of people will say no, but maybe somebody will say yes, and maybe they've been waiting for an invitation, and maybe their life will change and be forever different because they say yes. So we can't be afraid to make these invitations to whatever, to say a prayer in that moment, to go to a retreat, to get involved in a deeper way. And, you know, as I, as I listen to people share their life journey with me, so, ma- so many times it's because they've been invited by who knows what person to take, to take the next step. So we have to be a people of invitation, of taking the risk of being vulnerable and, and, and willing to, you know, have that little moment of what if they reject me? Because the risk, uh, you know, the reward is so infinitely worth the risk, you know, and, and that's why we, that's why we take these risks. It's, it's for love of people because we want them to experience this, this joy, this peace, this purpose that is, what a life with God is like and what, what, what it's all about. Oh, that's a very beautiful uh, explanation of it. Um, part of our training uh, on that Saturday, Marianne, uh, you challenged us to, um, in essence, have us tell our story in three minutes. And um, it was a kind of a laughter between my husband and I. He's a, he's a Cajun and, I'm an Italian, and if you could see me, I'm waving my hands all around here. Uh, so we've got to we've got to tell a story with our whole body, and uh, to uh-huh. 
the challenge of trying to do that in in three minutes. Um, could you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, how to do that and how to kind of have? You kept referring to arrows in our quiver, and um, sure. I think, well, a lot of what the basic evangelization training is about is giving you different tools that you can use in different scenarios at different moments, depending on what the situation calls for. And one of the arrows in our quiver that mm-hmm. I that we like to share with St. Paul Street Evangelization is how to share our testimony. And it, it's so important to be able to share what God has done in our own lives you know, in the first place, because it, it humanizes us and it helps them to realize like, oh, well, we we struggle in our faith, too. And we've been far away before, too. But God has called us closer. And uh, whether you're a convert from atheism or from another religion or just the fact that God never leaves us where we are and he's always calling us into a deeper relationship with him. We all have a story to tell, and people need to hear that God is real and that he makes a difference in our lives. Mm -hmm. And so for us, it's so important to be able to share that in a concise way. So, I mean, the basic formula is, who was I before? What did God do in my life? And, and, And who am I after? And it's important to be able to practice it, rehearse it, so so that we're ready, you know, ready to give the reason for our hope and our joy. And, and you know, once we have this story of what God has done for us, he will often ask us to use it because people, people long for that personal witness. Um, you know, we hear this quote over and over is that modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than to teachers. And if he listens to teachers, it's because they are witnesses. So they, people are longing for authenticity, for something real, for that to know that God is, you know, not not just someone distant, but someone that's actually very close, that can make a real difference in my life. And so that's that's the challenge. The challenge is to be able to say it in a concise way because. There, there are times that we're talking to people that we don't have half an hour, but we want to be able to say, you know, God is real. He makes a difference. This is what he's done in my life, and this is what he could do in your life, too. And I think the, 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 little, the, the thing about our little formula of, uh, you know, the three steps is not really dwelling a lot on or giving glory to the past or, you know, making the big thing about, um, you know, our sinful past, but really the focus is in what has God done for us and what what am I like now? And so the, the focus is really on God and who He is and His goodness and His mercy and what He has done. And and there's like, uh, there's a great liberation in that too, because we, as we share, we don't stress out so much about, you know, ourselves, but what we do when we share to His when we share a testimony is is really share about the good things that God has done. And so it's, it's about him. It's about giving him glory. And when we can do that in a concise way, you know, we're, we're able to share it in a lot in, in, in many situations without potentially overwhelming somebody that, you know, 
may have other things to do at that date. Yeah, exactly. Um, I agree. I agree. Um, as we are coming to the close of our show, we have about five more minutes left. So um, I want to give you the opportunity to say uh anything else about the training that we went through and then maybe we could talk a little bit about us going out in the streets of Austin and uh, share some of those experiences. Sure. Well, I think um, I just want to point you to the resource streetevangelization.com. That way you can find out where all the trainings are and uh, there's a lot of material that's online already, so you can go through some of the training online. If you want to contact somebody about having a training in your local parish or your diocese, you could also uh, find that information on streetevangelization.com. We also do uh, a beautiful, another training that we do that's also rather beautiful is uh, our Hospitality Institute, and that's a training for a parish to help help them be more hospitable. It's called Entertaining Angels. And the whole premise is that we are kind to everybody that put, God puts in our path because we never know whom we are entertaining. And it's a training from every, for everybody from our janitors to our receptionists to our DREs to our ca- volunteer catechists. Because when a person walks onto a church, you know, every person that they encounter is is representing the church for that person. So we have to help each person become an open door to Christ so that everyone that they, uh, so, so that when people come onto our campus, they are experiencing Christ in every person that they meet. That's, that's the other training that we do uh, that I would really recommend. But I would really love to talk about, you know, what, what the experience was like for you as a participant that went through this training and, you know, went to start sharing your feet, your, your faith yeah. on the street of Austin. And I, I think I remember it's, it was the Riders of Texas weekend. So there was a lot of motorcyclists in downtown, um, in downtown Austin. So what was that like for you? Well, you know, um, the first time going out there on, on a bunch of levels, we've been going to classes every other Saturday since January. And, um, the guys, sometimes the men are taken off and the women have a little bit of opportunity as women do a little more freely to learn each other's names and know a little bit about each other. But, uh, in the training that day, there was a couple sitting right in front of us. So every time he invited us to share something, this couple and my husband, we were our own little small group. And uh, he had already done, a, the in the diaconate training, they'll go out for uh, three days and be homeless. No cell phone, no money. And so he had already done his. So he knew the area that we were going to quite well and said, kind of just took the lead. So we all left we went to the cathedral downtown and we were going to be gone for an hour go do God's work and so uh shout out to my friend Darcy who had dress clothes and heels on while we're walking the streets of uh of up and down the hills I had my everydays on so my feet were fine but I really felt bad for her and because of this street rally motorcycle rallies the areas around uh, the capital were closed off, which is a place that he expected us to encounter some homeless people. So we turned and went towards the library, and that was our first opportunity. Uh, And as I said, we all felt very comfortably just starting these conversations. 
hi, what's your name, um, how are you, someone, because you can only go into the library for two hours, and then you have to leave, and then you can go back, and uh, those kind of things, so we came around the corner, and people are very territorial uh, in this area, and so we, I met a man named Don, and uh, they were four people kind of hanging together, and uh, he <laughs> came to uh, uh, from a, a space of being churched all his life uh, in a non-denominational fashion. So he started proclaiming God in his life before we really got an opportunity. Um, I handed him um, a miraculous medal, and he kind of looked at the Mary, the Mary look, and uh, said, "You know, if." you were my friend and you could come to my house and whether I was there or not, if we're in relationship, you already know my mother and you would go have coffee with her if I'm there or not. And that's the relationship uh, of our blessed mother brings us closer to her son. And he just had a look that he had never heard it in that way before. And I said, you know, have you ever thought about being Catholic? And he said, no, not really. And I said, well, in every church in September, RCIA starts uh, teaching what the church actually teaches. It's a great opportunity. And we, he said, can we pray together? He in, in, uh, started the prayer. And as we were leaving, he said, now, it's in September. And tell me about that class again. So, you know, I just asked God to bless that relationship, uh, that conversation that maybe he would check it out. So uh, it was a great experience um, just to see. And then we'd come walking back and seeing the other groups coming and Deacon Guadalupe being a deacon was able to pray with them. And so as the music is playing, I guess our listeners and you know that we've come to the end of our time. I knew it would fly by. I thank you so much, Marianne, for taking the time to be with us and I hope that God continues to bless your uh involvement in St. Paul's Street Evangelization. God bless you, my friend. God bless you too, Judy. It was a joy to speak with you. Thank you. And our listeners, thank you for listening. And remember, when choosing between heaven and earth, always ground up. <laughs>